Hey, good morning, Victory Church. How you doing? Let me hear you. Uh, we are excited to be able to continue to feature different ministries that we partner with, organizations, and what we're able to do, not only in the four walls of this church, but in our community. And so obviously, Convoy of Hope is one of those organizations. And, and there's different, different organizations we partner with to do different things. And so Convoy of Hope is our disaster relief uh, ministry organization. And so, for example, at the beginning of the year, we were able to partner with them and uh, help provide clean water filters to some third world countries. And then I was just, I was sharing with the first service, uh, probably about, I don't know, three or four weeks ago, there was a, a huge storm in Memphis that uh, d- did a lot of damage, it, it, power outages, and Convoy of Hope was there providing food and clean drinking water. And that's just one of those organizations that we get to partner with so that when something happens uh, across the world and you wonder, man, I wish I could be there, I wish I could do something, you can know that through victory, you are doing something and you are there through Convoy of Hope. So thank you to every person that gives financially through tithes and offerings every month to be able to help support victory. Again, we always love to not only focus on what God's doing right here inside of these four walls, but all of the different ways that we're making impact throughout the community. Uh, a couple of different things before we get into the sermon. Number one, we have uh, our next meet and greet happening. So if you're visiting with us today or you're, you're new, you've been coming for a while and you've been kind of waiting to, to put your foot in the water and to dive in and you're wanting to know more about what's happening, you're wanting to make connection, on that meet and greet night, myself, my wife Darla, uh, some of our leadership, we, we meet right here in the Dream Team Care Room or the Grow Track Room. We have dinner provided for you. And then we have about an hour and a half where we sit and we talk through kind of the past of how we got here, what we're doing and where we're going. We take Q&A, whether it be about theology or finances, whatever it might be. It's just a time to, to have some intimate time together for you get to know us, for us get to know you. And so again, if you're visiting, if it's your first Sunday or you've been coming for a while and you say, man, I really want to know more, August 15th, 630, you can sign up at our Welcome Center or on our website for meet and greet just so that we know you're coming. It's going to be a great time. Last but not least, in front of you are these QR codes. Uh, I've mentioned them a couple of times, but I want to do my best to let you know that they're there. This is for you at the end of the service if you're wanting to take a next step. And so, for example, if you're wanting to receive Christ as your Savior, if you're wanting to sign up to be baptized in water, if you want to start a Bible reading plan, uh, if you want to join a small group or have one-on-one discipleship, anything like that, when service is over, if you'll scan that QR code, it's going to send you kind of a a, a drop-down box form that you can fill out. And it just helps us reach out to you during the week and be able to help follow up those next steps because sometimes you, you want to respond, but you're not really sure what to do. Scan that QR code. QR code at any point, but especially at the end of the service, and we will do our best to follow up with you. Cool? You ready for the word? Yeah. All right, so we're in a series called Patterns, and we've been talking about how to change the broken patterns in our life. And so we have certain patterns that are, that are leading to results that we don't want. We want different results. So how do we change those patterns? The first week, we talked about how before we even talk about what we do, let's talk about who we think we are because it's our identity that drives our behavior. And then last week, we talked about having a healthy fear of God. And we talked about how, especially if you've been raised throughout religion, you've kind of been told that to fear God means boo, you're scared of him. And we talked through how it means to be in awe of God and have a reverence of God and the impact that has on our life. And I talked about how those two weeks really go together. They're kind of the left leg and the right leg. Well, this week and next week really go together. It's kind of the left leg and the right leg. So I really want to encourage you, if you're watching online or you're visiting with us or or you're here today, do your best to be back next Sunday so that you can kind of get the the part two to today's message. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul introduces this concept in which we're building this series on. He says, 
uh, to the church in Rome. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, so through the filter of God's mercy over your life, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, give your life to God, holy and pleasing to God, and this is your true and your proper worship. Verse 2 is where we built this series. He goes on to say, do not conform to the pattern of this world. So right off the bat, he's letting us know that this world does in fact have a pattern. It has a pattern culturally. It has a pattern mentally. And he tells us we do not have to just fall in line with this pattern, but you and I can be transformed. We can change by the renewing of our mind. He goes on to say, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. So this whole series is wrapped around what do we do when we find that we want to see some transformation in our lives, we want to change patterns in our life. Today's message is simply titled for you, Stop Trying. Stop trying. It was funny when I mentioned this at the first service, you got kind of a weird response because everybody's like, I'm not really sure how to take that. What does that mean for me in regards to stopping the idea of trying? I think we would all agree that we have all at some point in our life attempted to do something that we did not succeed at doing. We failed and then we became frustrated, right? We try it, we fail at it, we become frustrated. We try it, we fail at it, we become frustrated. To give you an example, in my life, when Darla and I started dating, her parents are, were lake people, and so we went out to the lake, and um, I, I, I learned how to tube pretty quick, but I'm from the hood, so the idea of skiing took me a little minute to get a, get a handle on, and so, you know, they strap on the big skis, and they tell you to put your feet kind of halfway above the water, and then as this person moves the boat, all of a sudden, it's going to pull you up on the water, and I tried many times, and every time, if these were my legs, every time they hit the gas on the boat, my legs just did like this, every time, and it's not fun if you're a guy, and so, you know, after the fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh time failing, I just said, you know what, I'm done, I'm not going to try this anymore. You ever been there? You ever tried something, not been able to do it, and then finally say, I'm done? I think religion tends to have a theology of trying. I think a lot of times legalism, or depending on what our, what our life being raised on religion was, we're kind of taught this theology of trying. And here's what it looks like. It's, it's us thinking that we, we, we can get to where we want to go by giving a greater effort. That if we just try harder, right? If, if you'll just try harder, you'll get it. For example, um, I'm going to try and have a better marriage. I, I'm going to try and be a better student. I'm going to try and be better at finances. I'm going to try and be a better Christian. I'm going to try and have a better mouth, right? We're, we're kind of in this mindset that if we'll just give a greater effort, maybe the thing that we couldn't accomplish the past six, seven, eight, nine, ten times Maybe now, because we're giving a greater effort, we'll be able to do it this time. For many of us, trying is the problem. The problem is we keep trying. We've been trying for so long, but trying never actually achieves consistent results. And so too often, trying leads to quitting. So I want to encourage you today, let's quit trying. You'll never find a verse in the Bible that tells you to try. I've thought a lot about this. I think the most, um, the closest you might get is the Bible verse that tells us to taste and see that God is good. And so the idea that we could try God first and see, right? 
But you're not going to find a Bible verse that tells you to see change in your life or to find yourself in, in positive patterns to get to positive results. Try. What you will find is many scriptures that tell you to train. You won't see try, but you'll see train. For example, train yourself to be godly. That's a Bible verse. Train your child in the way they shall go and they will not depart from it. It's a Bible verse. All scripture is God-breathed for the benefit of training. It's a Bible verse. I want to give you kind of a definition of try and a definition of train. To try is to attempt to do the right thing by exerting effort in the moment. In other words, we step up to the moment, we try our best. That's what trying is. While training is making a commitment to developing strategic habits that will equip us to do the right thing in the moment. Do you catch that? To try is to show up to the moment and give all the effort that we have and hope that we don't fail. To train is to commit ourselves to strategic habits to prep us and equip us so that when we do show up to the moment, we're not trying, we're trained for it. It's a difference in trying, there's a difference in training. When I'm trying, think about this, it's like I'm hoping to be something that I'm not. I'll try and be patient. I'll try and fit in. I'll try to have a good time. It's us hoping to be something that we aren't naturally. While training is positioning ourselves to be a better us. Trying is hope. I, I hope I'll be better. I hope I can do this. I hope that even though I've had this pattern for 20 years, I'll try and it'll be different tomorrow. But training is putting ourselves in a position that says, I'm going to be better tomorrow than I am today. It's training. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. And just to give you a little bit of background, the, the church has gone crazy, okay? So, so Paul has heard about it. He's heard that the church is just running rampant in sin. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to believers. He's talking to, to God lovers, to, to, to Christians that have just, just become overwhelmed with sin and living in sin. And he pins them this letter, and he's trying to help train them through this process. And here's what he says. He starts off in verse 25. He says, do you not know that in a race all of the runners run the race, but only one gets the prize? He goes on to say, run in such a way as to get the prize. Be excited about the run. Run passionately. Everybody's like, I'm trying. But watch what he says. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Everyone who competes in the games tries. Is that what he said? Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. And he goes on to say, watch this. They do it to get a crown that will not last. He's talking about those in the games. He says, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. It's important to understand why all of a sudden Paul thought it made sense to talk in this sportscaster vernacular, right? Like all of a sudden he got the spirit of Dick Vitale over him or something. Like now he's just talking like this. Like, wait a minute, who's he talking to? They totally, the people of Corinth completely understood what he was talking about. It was very common to have the Olympic Games in Corinth. Many of the athletes trained in Corinth. 
And so people understood what he was talking about. It'd be like talking about the National Football League right now in America. Everybody would be completely, even if you don't like it, you understand it. And so when he starts saying, hey, these athletes are wanting to be better, but they go into strict training. He's telling them they're not out here trying to be good. They're not out here trying to compete. They are smart enough to know that they need to train if they're going to go from here to here. Now, listen to me. If Tom Brady needs to train to throw a football, you and I need to train to be able to walk and pursue Christ-likeness. We've been taught this theology, just, hey, just go out there and try. And now we've tried, and we've failed, and we're frustrated because we can't. And the Bible says, we never told you to try. Because if you try in your own effort, you're destined to fail. But train, allow the Holy Spirit, allow the godly scriptures to help you train to be. Because if you train, you will succeed. But if you try, you are destined to fail. I say all this to tell you that the answer, I believe the answer to real change is not found in trying, it's found in training. How come the couple that's been married for 40 years is happily married? How come the student who has a 4.0 GPA is doing so well in school? How come the family that has no debt and they even have money in savings, how come the person that has, can, can quote scripture verses or how come the person who is not so quick to hit their horn and do the Pentecostal wave to the person that's cutting them off on I-20? Like, like how does this happen? I'm going to tell you right now, it's not because they're trying harder than you. It's because they're training there's a difference. Training is doing what we can do today so that we can do what we, what we can't do today tomorrow. Does that make sense? Training is doing what we can do today so that we can do tomorrow what we can't do today. Are y'all following with me? All right, I'll, make, I'll, make it, I'll make it even simpler, okay? Uh, right now, I am really into the, the, the sport from heaven, pickleball. Any of y'all playing pickleball right now? It's really awesome. So, so here's the deal with pickleball. If right now you say, I've never played pickleball, I don't know how to play pickleball, that's fine. But you're never going to learn how to play pickleball by saying, I don't know how to play pickleball. But if you come out to pickleball and you just, you know, go through the motions, hit it, train a little bit, then you're doing what you can do today. I'm hitting it so that I'll be able to do what I can't do today tomorrow. I'm getting better. I'm doing what I can't do today. I'm doing it right now so that tomorrow I'll be able to do it. Does that make sense? I think I confused my own self, but it's okay. <laughs> Let me say it like this. When I try, it's about what I can do in my own strength. When I try, it's all about what I can do in my own strength. But when I train, it's me trusting God to do something greater in and through me. You catch that? When I try, it's all about what I can do in my own strength. When I train, it's me trusting God to do something even greater inside of me. There is this popular thing out called from coach, or, or sorry, from couch to 5K. Y'all remember those little apps? So that if somebody all of a sudden who's sitting on a couch in baggy sweatpants and a baggy sweater eating a Twinkie decides that they want to go out and run a 5K, 
there's a process in which they can go through to get there, to get ready. Because what you don't want to do is get up off of your couch, wipe the Twinkie cream, right, from the center of your shirt to your shoulder, walk up to the finish line, and, you know, you're still chewing on it, right? Because who knows what a Twinkie's actually made of. And you're looking at the person, and they're like, oh, I've been training for, you know, six weeks to be here. You know, how long did you train? And you're like, I'm just going to try. Right? It doesn't make any sense. Because when we try something, it's how good can I do it on my own strength? But when we train, it's how can I be better than what I... If, if we have to train to go from a couch to a 5K, then listen to me. I, I can't speak for you, but I'll speak for me. I need to train to go from a fresh new believer to who I want to be in Christ. When I try, it's all about what I can do in my own strength. But when I train, it's trusting God to do something greater in and through me. Think about it even like this, that in a sense, trying can be denying God's help while training, when done right, is a partnership with God. Did you catch that? Trying can actually be me denying God. Here's what I mean. God, I'll help you. No, no, I got this, right? I got it. I got it. I'll figure it out. I'll call to you when all of a sudden I can't do it. But right now, I got this, God. I got the wheel. Move out the way. That's trying. God, I don't need your help. While training, when done right, is actually us partnering with God. God, can you help me? Can you train me to be? Last night, I spent an hour throwing a football with my youngest daughter because she loves football and wants to play football. I'm training her how to play football. There's nothing mean about this or hard about this, but for her to think that she's just going to go out and know how to do it, can I set you free? Just because you're a son of God, just because you're a daughter of God, doesn't mean you're going to walk out of here and know how to live like it. We need training. And that's what the Bible's for. That's what the Holy Spirit is for, is to train us so that we can learn and become better and begin to walk more and more and become more and more like God. But if all you're ever doing is out there trying, you'll be frustrated, you'll be condemned, and then you'll quit. Instead of putting yourself in a position to train so that you grow and learn and become better. And it's a fun process. So I was thinking about this. I'm like, all right. How, what does it look like for us to train? Because everybody in here is in, in a different season of life. You're dealing with different specific things. We've got couples. We've got singles. We've got senior adults. We've got young adults. We've got kids. We've got, you know, I mean, we've got all these different situations. So, so how could I come up here and, and give you practically this, like, you know, black and white version to go out and train? I can't do that. And so certainly, you know, privately on your own, talking to your spouse, your family, Thursday night class, maybe even grabbing coffee or something with me or with somebody else, we could do that. And I encourage you to do that. But I also thought I could back up a little bit and kind of give you some basic point of views that would help you as you walked out today. I, I told you that you're really going to need next week along with this week for it to be a full, you know, um, message for you. But I figured I could give you some steps to start walking with today. So I'm going to give you three thoughts. Number one is this. For you to train, you need to first establish the goal. You need to establish the goal. I didn't make this up. Paul said it, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 26. Watch what he says. He says, therefore, I do not run like someone who's running aimlessly. He's like, I'm not just running around. Could you imagine lining up to a race, right? And like everybody's getting ready to run, and they blow the whistle, and one dude's just like going all the way over there and circling back around like, what's he doing? Uh, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't know where he's going. He's running aimlessly. 
And this, this is part of the reasons why we planted a church to begin with, because I never wanted people to be told to go out and try to be trained to be like Christ and then walk out with no instruction and run around aimlessly. We have to establish a goal. Paul goes on to say, I don't fight like a boxer who's fighting the air. I don't, I'm not just punching air without knowing. I have a goal. Paul says you run the race to win, but watch this. You can't win a race that you run without a finish line right? Now, here's where I'm a little different, because I think that often this is where theology messes us up, because of what we establish the goal to be. When we establish the goal, and then all of a sudden the goal matters. So let me tell you like this. The goal can't be reaching the finish line, because the finish line is eternity. Does that make sense? Paul said it like this. He said, I'm not, I'm not pretending like I've won the race, he said, but at the same time, I'm not looking back. I'm just moving forward. I, I told you a couple of weeks ago that, that perfection in Christ is in eternity. I've told you that until the day we die, we will be growing in Christ. So this finish line is death. It's eternity, all right? And let me give you more practical examples. If you say, my goal is a great marriage, well, here's the problem with that. You'll have to constantly make sure it's a great marriage until the day you die, Right? You can't be like tomorrow, be like, oh, we got a great marriage, we're done. <laughs> you got to keep this thing going, right? New stuff's going to happen. All of a sudden, you're going to have kids. All of a sudden, you're going to get older. All of a, like things are going to happen to where you're going to have to constantly work on it. And so we set this goal, this ultimate finish line goal. And because there's something in us that focuses on outcomes, watch this. If the outcome's the goal, we will be in constant disappointment. Because this was the goal, right? The goal was a great marriage. The goal was to be uh, in a good, healthy place financially. Here's one, you ready? The goal was to be a good Christian. The problem with the goal is the goal is not, it, it's not final. It's not uh, applicable or attainable until eternity. And so let me kind of change you for a second in this idea. Instead of this being the goal, let's talk about the process being the goal. Let's, let's talk about being able to enjoy the process. I was watching Creed 3 the other day. Y'all seen any of these movies? And it's so funny because we live in a culture that, that almost um, negates, downplays the process. I'll tell you what I mean by this. So in Creed 3, uh, this is not at the movies. That's coming in October, but I'm, I'm just going to give you a real quick deal. So in Creed 3, he, uh, he's been retired for years. And all of a sudden, an old friend who's been in prison, who's been, you know, punching brick walls, shows up, and he wants to fight Adonis Creed. And Adonis Creed's like, I'm going to fight him, so I'm going to go into training. And so he then proceeds, I'm not lying to you, to go through a training montage that's about three and a half minutes long. So he went from, I've been retired for years, to I'm ready to box in about three and a half minutes. All right? And because culture tells us this, this is what we assume. That, oh, I'm trying to get here, but I'm here, so this right here should last uh, about a day. Right? I, I went to one church service, so I should be there. And we've negated this process. We've downplayed the process to where we don't even appreciate the process. But listen to me. What if the trophy was the training? What if the process was the prize. See, if this is eternity in the end game, then certainly it's a prize in heaven, but I'm supposed to have a prize while I'm here. So what if the process is the prize? 
You say, oh, I don't even, I can't, I can't grasp. All right, maybe put it in an illustration like this. I thought about this earlier this morning, but I forgot to tell first services. Um, how many of you ate dinner last night? Raise your hand if you ate dinner last night. All right. Some of you, are y'all dieting or fasting? We don't eat dinner Saturday night, Troy. We're praying for you. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate that. All right, so those of you who do eat, apparently. Um, let me tell you this. How, we understand that the goal of eating is to be full. Everybody understand that? Like, like even though we don't want to admit it, the goal of eating is to be full. Let's see how many of you will lie in church, okay? How many of you ate dinner? You picked what you had for dinner because your goal was to be full. Raise your hand. Oh, y'all, you are believers. You are faith, faith-filled people. All right, I'll, I'll take it off. You'll put it on for me, all right? Just so you know. Me and my family went to Legend Steakhouse last night because that's my oldest daughter's favorite place. I had six rolls, all right? <laughs> Time out. <laughs> you, you hypocritical people. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right. I had rolls. I had a salad bar. I had a $6.99 cheeseburger. And then I threw up when I got home. <laughs> My reason for telling you this, this, it's true. It's sad, but it's true. It might have been like three rolls, but don't get off me. All right. Here's the reason. I did not eat to be full. I was way more than full. Right? I ate to enjoy eating. Them rolls with that melted cinnamon butter. Hallelujah. That's manna. That's literally what manna is supposed to be right there. All right. I eat to be the process. It's all about the process. You choose a restaurant, not because you want to be full, but because you want to enjoy the process. You want to enjoy, you want to take that bite of something. I was talking to a friend of mine. They were like, how come ever since we moved to the building, every sermon you preach about food? Like, I don't know. It just is what it is. But, but I, I started thinking about this concept. Are y'all still rolling with me? Have I lost you too much? All right, y'all thinking about lunch already? All right, are you back with me? Watch this. Watch this. You ready? I'm about to blow your mind. The Bible says, taste and see that I am good. Here's what that tells me. God says, if you will embrace me, you will enjoy the process. The goal will not be, I want to finally arrive. You know, this whole process is terrible. It's boring. It's not of the world. Oh, my goodness. I'm suffering through it. But at the end, I'm going to be a holy person. That's not right. God says, no, no. You're going to enjoy the process. The goal is not to get to heaven. You're going to get to heaven because of what Christ did on the cross. The goal is to embrace and experience me in the process. When becoming more like Jesus is the goal, we win every day as we take another step towards Christ-likeness. That's what I want to encourage you. In this training process, I don't want you to think, I don't want you to think that, I don't want you to think being a Christian is not a fun thing to be. Because when we hear training, we think uncomfortable, not fun. Oh, I gotta go to the gym. And sometimes I think we treat church the way we treat the gym. Oh, I gotta go to church. Because we've misunderstood it. Because we've made the goal to be holy. So we think going to church makes us holy. We're holy because of what Christ did. We're holy because Christ is holy. That's the end game. But this journey, this process is supposed to be a prize because we will taste and see that God is good. It's fun. It's exciting. It's adventurous. It's amazing. So number one, establish the goal. What's your goal when it comes to training? It's not the end goal. 
My, my youngest daughter told me she wanted to get abs because she plays football now. And so I said, do 50 sit-ups. She said, that's hard. She was telling her mom, mom said, don't do 50, then do 10. We get too focused on this end goal, y'all, and we quit. Just, just wake up tomorrow and read a verse. Just wake up tomorrow in the morning and say a prayer. You know what I mean? Like just start the process, because the process is the prize. I don't have relationship with God so that I can arrive somewhere. I have relationship with God because that's the prize. See what I mean? Establish the goal. Number two is this. Embrace the discipline. Embrace the discipline. Watch what Paul goes on to say in verse 27. He says, I discipline my body like an athlete. He's very familiar. He goes, you know what they see? They do? I was, I was going to preach this, but didn't. They, the, the, the people of the day actually trained naked. That's what they did. They trained naked. So I'm not telling you to show up to work tomorrow morning naked, all right? But he's telling you, he's like, take this serious. Discipline your body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching others, I myself might be disqualified. He's saying, number one, you got to establish this goal so that you know what winning is. Winning is relationship with Jesus. But in the process, don't negate, don't ignore the discipline. Let me set you free for a second. Discipline is not a dirty word. I think we've been taught discipline being a bad word. A lot of us were disciplined as children, right? And so we've been able to connect that to being a negative thing. So when we hear somebody say God's discipline, that all of a sudden becomes negative. Now all of a sudden it's, it's dad, mean dad with the rod, right? He's going to smite me, mighty smiter. You know, all of a sudden it's this concept that God's mad at me and going to punish me. And we think that's discipline. That's not discipline. When, when we hear it, we think punishment. Or watch this, having to do something we don't want to do. Discipline is actually choosing what we want most over what we want now. That's what discipline is. And I'll, I'm going to really shock you. You ready? Every person in here, if right now your thought was, I'm not a disciplined person, you are a disciplined person. It just depends on what you're disciplined to. Right? We're, we're, all, we're all disciplined to certain things, but it's whatever takes priority. So real discipline is choosing what you want most instead of what you want now. It, it, discipline is not, you, uh, is not you not being able to have. Or let me say it like this. Discipline is not what you can't have. Discipline is what you can have. I was telling the first service, Darla and I, one time we were working on our finances, and we were driving down the road, and she was talking about how she wanted to be able to travel more. And in the time, we, we had a lot of those. I don't know if y'all ever do those weekly Hobby Lobby Target trips, you know, where you go and you spend $10 there and $13 here. And it's like, oh, that's not really a big deal. And at the end of the week, you spent like $200, right? But it's, but it's what do they call that? Shopping therapy, retail therapy, right? It's, I get it. Do it, girl. Go there. Shop. Love it. But I was talking to her about it. And I said, well, listen, we're going to have to pick one or the other. You can go to Hobby Lobby every day of the week and buy something if you want. But we can't travel as much. If you want to travel as much, you're only going to be able to go to Hobby Lobby once a month. You know what I mean? And so what are we doing there? It's discipline. What is it about? It's about choosing what we want most over what we want now. Does that make sense? So what do we want most? What do we, I want a great relationship with God. I want a great marriage. I want to be in a great place financially. What's well, going to take some discipline? But I need you to understand that God has laid out discipline in his scripture. He's given you discipline through the Holy Spirit. It's not a bad thing. He wants to come alongside of you and help you, but we have to embrace it. 
Think about it like this. Change doesn't come by desire, but by discipline. Our ability to change is not a result of desire. We, we don't change because we want to, is what I'm trying to tell you. We change because of discipline. I was in Memphis on staff at our church in Memphis, and we had brought in this, this real famous singer to be able to do kind of a concert for this youth event we were doing. And I was responsible for kind of whining and dining him, taking him out and feeding him and kind of showing him around Memphis. And I had taken him to this place called Texas Day Brazil for him to have like all the steak you can want, you know. And we're getting done eating and uh, they come around with the dessert tray and he asked for a piece of cheesecake. And so they get the piece of cheesecake and they put it in front of him. And he takes about two or three bites of it. And then he asks the waiter for salt and pepper. And the waiter comes back with salt and pepper and he takes the salt and pepper and he starts sprinkling it all over the cheesecake. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm disciplining myself. And I was like, what does that mean? And he was like, I only wanted a couple of bites. He said, I just had a sweet tooth. He said, but I knew that if the cheesecake just sat in front of me, that I would sit here and eat the whole thing. I said, well, number one, I could have had some. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's just mad. You know what I mean? What are you doing, bro? But I understood the concept. I understood the concept that, that if it just sits in front of us, that we're naturally going to want it. But he said, if I do something to it, where now when I taste it, it doesn't taste good anymore, I'm doing discipline that's going to help me from stopping and doing that. When, when we've tasted something, church, when we've embraced something, when we've found something that we like, something that we've been shaped by, it will take discipline for us to walk away from that. Look, look, when you've been introduced to sexuality at a young age and for years it's shaped you, you don't just change that by desire. When you've been looking at certain pictures and photographs since you were nine years old, you don't change that by desire. But that's what we're teaching just change. Be better. You should want to because God doesn't like it. Time out. It's embraced me. It's shaped me. It's formed me. I can't change it by desire. It's going to take discipline. And it's going to take time. I had a lady tell me after first service, she said, I love who it said, Pastor. She said, it's like saying that it takes crock pot, not microwave. Yeah. I was like, you know what? I'm going to preach that. Thank you. <laughs> Let me tell you this story. Darla and I are in Memphis, and we're with her parents, and her dad has a dog that he loves, Diamond, and Diamond has a fenced-in backyard, and he lets Diamond out, and Diamond, at one point, is jumping up and down and barking and going wild and crazy, so we all go out in the backyard to see what's happening, and what's happened is Diamond has found this uh, bird nest of baby birds, and first of all, Diamond has knocked the bird nest down, and now she's barking at the baby birds, right? So here's what happens. We all go out. My kids are screaming, stop, Diamond, stop, Diamond. And uh, Darla's parents go over and get Diamond and drag her over. And, you know, they start telling, no, no, you don't do that, no. And then we go back in the house and guess where Diamond goes? Right back over to the birds, right? So we see it again, we hear it again, so we come back out. Poppy gets there again, takes her back over. No, no, stop, you can't do that, no. We go back in the house. Diamond runs right back over to the birds. We come back outside again. Poppy takes Diamond again. No, Darla steps in and says, here's the deal. She's, she's wired. It's in her nature to want to go after those birds. So to just grab her, 
pull her away from it, smack her on the nose, and say no, won't change her. She's wired that way. So no matter, even though she knows it's wrong, something inside of her draws her back to it, and she wants to go to it. So something else is going to happen for her to change. So we go back in the house. A few minutes go by. We notice we don't hear her barking anymore. And so we're like, what happened? So we get up to go outside. Poppy, what'd you do? He said, I built an extra fence around the bird nest so she couldn't get to it. What am I telling you? I'm telling you that discipline from God is good. That we embrace discipline because he loves us. Because God will build a fence around things for us because we are designed at our nature. We were born into sin. So there's something about us that even though we don't want to, we're drawn to it. And it doesn't matter. Listen to me. It doesn't matter how many times the church grabs you, hits you on the nose, and tells you no, you're not going to change. You will not change out of desire. You will not change. It was inside of you. Jesus said he will come and give you a clean heart. He said that he'll come inside and make you a new person. But then there's going to be some disciplines that you're going to have to put in place. Oh, this is so good. I hope you're getting it. This is so good because you're changed in Christ. You're righteous in Christ, but there's going to be something in you that comes back up and you're going to want to go back, but don't worry. There's a fence there. I just feel the Holy Spirit. Some of you, you've been hit on the nose so many times and told no that you think that's how God views you. That is incorrect. God loves you. He died for you. But he also has disciplines for you that if you will embrace them, you'll stop trying and you'll start training. And in times where you used to fail, you'll start to succeed. I wish I would have just preached that story and called it a day. I got a little bit more time with y'all, so I'm going to stand on this for a second. When, I, when I've been subjected to photos at nine years old, at 39, there's something in me that just wants to draw back to it. Well, don't you love your wife? Don't you want to be different? It has nothing to do with that. When you've been taught that you're nobody and have no value from the moment you could, your parents could speak to you, then when all of a sudden you're trying to have a healthy relationship, the temptation will be just to go back to it. Well, I'm trying to be, look, stop trying. I'm setting you free. Stop trying. Instead, take the word of God, the spirit of God, and build some fences through discipline so that when those feelings and those urges and those emotions start to rev up again, instead of you trying to push them down, which you failed at before, and you will fail at again. Instead of trying to do that, turn to the training, to the discipline of God, and allow the Holy Spirit to put up fences that even though you want to get to it, you can't. You can't. Stamp this on your heart. God loves you too much to stop the good that's coming to you through his discipline. God's mad at me. I can never do right. God's going to discipline me. You've got it all wrong. That's legalism. That's religion. That's incorrect. God is so madly in love with you 
and he knows all of the great things that are coming to you, a great future, a good work, a great marriage, great finances, impact, influence, holiness, that God says, I don't want you to miss out on these things because of the lack of discipline. So embrace it. Love it. Build it. So how do we do that? Sometimes as a pastor, I wish I could just say cool things like that and be like, all right, have a good week. See you next week. Figure it out on your own, right? That's not what we're about here. And so again, it's important. Next week's important. It's a little bit more practical next week as we build on. But I was praying through this, and I'm like, all right, God, what's the exercise plan? Because for all of you that exercise, you don't show up to the gym without a plan of what you're going to do. You walk in, and today's leg day for you weirdos. You know, uh, today's bicep day. You know, what? Like, you have a plan. And so you and I need to have a plan. Because I don't know about you, but the, I don't know if you know this, but the Bible says that Satan's like a roaring lion who's going back and forth waiting to be able to pounce on you. So he's out there. He's probably behind those two doors, just waiting. So what's the plan, Troy? What's, what's, what's the process? What's the plan? I prayed about this for a while because I'm like, I, I don't, it, it, can't be, it, it can't be so specific. But at the same time, it's got to be kind of step one. So here's what we're going to talk about. Part three is this, or point three is this. We're going to exercise the plan. Years ago, Darla and I got to talking, and I had, I had gotten way heavier than I wanted to be. Stress of youth ministry, young people. They had me eating my feelings. And uh, we started talking about, you know, different ways I could lose weight. And a buddy of mine came over with a DVD of P90X. Y'all ever seen that? Because, you know, if you've never worked out a day in your life, you should do what the Navy SEALs do, right? It makes sense. So that's, that's total sense. Never lifted a dumbbell. Let's do that. No, it doesn't make any sense. But that's what we do, right? We choose to follow Christ, and then we're going to walk out and do this thing that's so extravagant and so mature and so far down the road that as soon as we try to do it, we can't do it, so we quit. So let's back up a little bit, and let me give you something very practical for you to walk out of here with, and we're going to actually exercise it this morning before you leave, all right? Everybody in the room, stand with me for a second. Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. I've been praying this over me for a while now, and all of a sudden, the Spirit of God said, this is your training plan. Go tell Victory Church, this is our training plan. There's about eight or seven, I can't remember which exactly there is, about eight or seven prayer points that come from Colossians chapter 1. So I'm going to take you through them real quick, and then we're going to pray them right now, and then I'm going to encourage you to take them into your daily life, okay? So in Colossians chapter 1, Paul is both thanking God for some of these and praying for some of these. But when I read it, I just said, God, I'm praying all of these over me. So here's what it is. Number one, I'm praying for a greater faith in Christ Jesus. Simple. I just, I just need a greater faith in Christ Jesus. My healing comes by faith. My salvation comes by faith. I need a greater faith. I love people, my enemies, as Brian said, by faith. Well, how do I get faith? Faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the Word of God. So I need to read the Word of God. I need to have greater faith in Jesus. That's my first prayer. God, just give me fader, greater faith in Christ Jesus. Watch this. Prayer number two, can I have a greater love for all of God's people? Here's what's really cool. Colossians 1 says all. I didn't, I didn't put that in there. For all of God's people. So we've prayed two things so far. It's been about our faith and loving other people, not about our performance. Prayer number three, can I have a hope that could only come from heaven? Here's what that means. Hope that's not dictated by what's happening right here on earth. 
Hope that's not being driven by my circumstance, but a hope that could only come from heaven, which is beyond me, thinking beyond me, thinking way beyond me. Next, I'm praying that you would help me share a gospel that changes lives. We've prayed four things, and two of them have been about other people. Let me love other people. Let me share a gospel that changes their lives. What's the gospel? That Jesus Christ died for their sins, that there's hope for them. Watch this, prayer number five, a greater understanding of God's grace. Isn't that great? Give me a greater understanding of your grace, Jesus. Next, give me greater knowledge of your will. What's your will for my life? Now watch this. We've prayed six things, and it's not until number seven that we actually start talking about discipline. Watch this. I pray that you would help me live to please God in every way. And then the last prayer, the strength and the power to have endurance and patience. I love that. Endurance to keep running the race, but patience to understand that I don't need to try to outrun who I am, right? Do you, you see this prayer pattern that we would pray six things and while I'm praying for greater faith and greater grace and greater knowledge and that God would help me love people and share the gospel with people, that all of that finally leads into, and by the way, God, let me live a life pleasing to you. And I didn't say this to the first service because y'all are more anointed, but watch this. The first six is how you live a life pleasing to God. It's got nothing to do with your actions because if you're praying these things, it influences your actions. God, give me greater faith in Jesus. Y'all need to find somebody in the first service and tell them that. That's good. Give me a greater faith in Christ Jesus. Let me have a better understanding of your grace, better knowledge of your will. Help me to love people, to share your gospel, and give me a hope that comes from heaven. And as a result of that, I will live a life that's pleasing to you in every way. And oh yeah, and on the back of it, give me the endurance and the patience for me to enjoy this process as I go about it. Amen? Worship team, let me invite you up. I, I, I want to pray over you those eight things. And I want you to receive them. You can pray with me. There might be one of these things that's a little bit harder for you to really receive from God. Spend some time on that. It's okay. But this is how we're going to close out service today. I'm going to pray these eight things over you, and then we're going to worship the Lord. So to be fair, everybody, just close your eyes for a second. Be ready to receive. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, you can give your heart to Christ today. The Bible says, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, and you shall be saved. You can do that right now just by saying, Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. Come into my heart. Let me live for you. Father, I pray right now for every person in this room, myself, the team that's on this stage. I pray, number one, Father, for a greater faith in Christ Jesus. Help us to have a greater faith in our healing, a greater faith in our salvation, a greater faith in you, in the resurrection. Help us to read your word so that it will impact our faith. I pray right now, Father, for a greater love for all of God's people, that you would help us to be kind. Help us to be a reflection of your grace, your love, and your mercy. I pray over us that you would give us a hope that could only come from heaven that we wouldn't put our hope in the worldly things, 
We wouldn't put our hope in how we're seeing today or tomorrow or yesterday, but that our hope would be in heaven. I pray that you would help us to share a gospel that is changing lives. I pray right now for a greater understanding of your grace. Oh, come on, that's some of you right there. Just give us a greater understanding of your grace, Jesus. I pray for a greater knowledge of your will. What you're doing in my life, the purpose that you've called me to, the ministry of reconciliation. And then, Father, as a result of those six prayers, I pray that you would help me. Everybody say, help me. I pray that you would help me live a life that's pleasing to you in every way. And then with those prayers, Father, I pray for the power and the strength to endure the race and the patience to be able to enjoy the process. Come on, would you just, however you might do it, lift your hands. Just begin to worship him in this place, Father. We love you. We thank you that your word trains us. Your Holy Spirit trains us. Come on, tell yourself this morning, I'm done trying. I'm done trying. I'm in training. Say it, I'm in training. I'm in training. Come on, let's worship him in this place, Father. Hallelujah.